You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Concussion Doc episode number 45. Um, today's episode I thought was going to be short, but I ended up finding a whole bunch of good stuff for you guys to share. Today's episode is how many concussions is too many? Obviously a frequent question that we get from both athletes themselves, former athletes that have questions on Instagram and other social media channels asking, you know, I've had X number of concussions, you know, am I in a lot of trouble, uh, that type of thing. We also get this question a lot, obviously, from parents that are concerned about their, you know, their peewee football player, their peewee hockey player that's had, um, you know, one or two concussions. And the question is always, well, is that too many concussions? How many concussions is too many? Um, I will say, obviously, that standard rule of thumb is the that less concussions is better than more concussions. Um, that's an obvious one. But the question in general is actually not that simple. First, in order to answer this appropriately, um, I have to kind of explain what a concussion is. Now, if you haven't seen the video that we made, we made this probably what two weeks ago now, um, and it's on our YouTube channel. So if you go to if you go to YouTube and you type in "complete concussion management," and maybe we can put the link on the show notes as well. But there's a video on our YouTube channel that was from me. Um, I did a whiteboard session where I kind of explained what a concussion is, and that. I'm going to try and explain that verbally now for those of you that are listening and tuning into us now, but it's pretty difficult to explain verbally and, and the whiteboard drawing that I did does a pretty, good, a pretty good job of explaining kind of how this all works. But essentially concussion is a brain injury obviously, but it's in the mild, it's the mild traumatic brain injury category, meaning that if you look at imaging, you're not going to see any evidence of structural abnormality. The brain itself remains intact. Concussion is a functional injury, so it changes how the brain functions. And the way that it does that, or one of the mechanisms behind that, is when the brain gets hit, or when your body goes through some sort of impact and there's an impulse force delivered to the head, like a whiplash injury from a, you know, a good body check or a fall, or a direct hit to the head, the brain will move around inside the skull. And the brain is the consistency of jello. And so when it does that, if you can picture a, a plate of jello getting shook back and forth, you're gonna get kind of this bouncing and this jiggling effect. And if you were to zoom in on every little jello strand fiber that you can see inside the brain, uh, you're gonna see each of those fibers getting stretched and then coming back and then getting stretched and then coming back. And as it kind of bounces and jiggles around, all the stretching of those fibers creates um, an excitation. It makes the brain cells excited. And so at a cellular level, you get millions of brain cells that all start to kind of fire. And this can result in any number of symptoms that you experience with concussion. Headaches, dizziness, confusion, loss of consciousness, uh, you name it, those you know, 22 kind of main symptoms uh, are what you, know, you feel after this happens. The net result of that, so all of that firing ends up burning a lot of energy. And so what you get over the next few hours to days is you get this drop in your energy levels. 
and the energy molecule in your brain is called ATP. So throughout this show, I will refer to ATP energy um, kind of synonymously, okay? So the net result of concussion is this drop in energy. You can't see it, um, but you can sure feel it. Uh, you can't see it on imaging. You can't see it on any, any, any other type of um, modality. Um, during this low energy, and this is what we've learned a lot from various animal studies, is that during this energy low, the brain is very vulnerable. So any additional trauma to the head, even if the force is less, can cause a concussion. And that second concussion is much more serious than the first one and they can actually add up and become cumulative. And if those two injuries add up and just the right amount in just the right areas of the brain, the injuries can actually become fatal. And this is what's known as second impact syndrome. Now there have been a number of deaths in the United States um, and there's been uh, one in Canada over the past five years and that was Rowan Stringer. And there's actually legislation being put in now in the province of Ontario called Rowan's Law and it's to counteract this thing where we're removing people from play because the risks are quite drastic for something that is so easily preventable if we understand what's happening. So we have an energy, a low energy state that lasts for a period of time. During that low energy state, until we're back up to our full energy levels, we have this vulnerability period that can occur. The tricky part with all of this is that symptoms, and meaning how you feel, has nothing to do with the actual recovery of the brain. So you might feel great, but your energy levels are still super, super, super low, and your brain is actually still super vulnerable to that to any additional trauma. And the problem that we have a lot in sports is a lot of the decisions that we're making as healthcare providers are purely based on symptoms. So if I have a patient, well, not me, but other healthcare practitioners, if they have a patient in front of them, they'll often just ask, well, how do you feel? And they say, well, I'm feeling better. I feel my headaches are gone. I feel back to normal. And they go, okay, well, that's fine. And then they sign their letter and they're able to go back to their sport. But that, just because you feel better doesn't mean that your brain is actually recovered. Okay. Now, when we're getting into the question of how many concussions is too many, I'm gonna throw this out here. It may not be the number of concussions that you get, but it may be rather how you recover from each one that matters most. I'm gonna say that again. It may not be the number of concussions you get, but rather how you recover between each one that matters most. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, concussions, as I said, result in an energy deficit. If you get another concussion during that energy deficit, it gets worse, potentially resulting in permanent damage, potentially resulting in fatal outcomes, or at the very least, a very prolonged recovery or potential for chronic long-term effects later on in life. So the research also demonstrates that if you are able to recover from that energy deficit, and you get back up to that full energy level, there, this cumulative effect is much lessened and may not be present at all according to some of the research that we have, okay? Double-sided stuff. All right, so a lot of this stuff has been pioneered by a group in Italy. Um, I'm gonna refer to them just as the Italian group, but there's authors Signoretti, Vagnozzi, Lazzarino. And about 10 to 12, 15 years ago, they started doing research on this metabolic stuff. 
this was originally proposed as um, the pathophysiology of concussion by Chris Giza from UCLA. And he wrote a, he, him, um, Giza and Hovda wrote a paper called the Neurometabolic Cascade of Concussion, where they took all of this literature and they put it together into a congruent kind of story of what happens when the concussion injury occurs. Now, Lazarino and, and Signoretti and Vagnozzi built on that work and they started with mice. And so they would give a mouse a concussion and then they would measure their ATP levels, their energy levels, at various time points throughout their recovery. And they were looking at the cellular levels of what that energy level would be after injury. And what they found was for the mouse, their energy starts dropping as quickly as one minute after injury. And it drops all the way down. They hit their peak low around six hours or so. And then they gradually regain energy stores back up until they're back up to their normal control level values, their uninjured values, at about five days. Okay? So there's no more significant difference after five days. So the recovery for a mouse is approximately five days. The next study that built on that was in 2005. And they looked at, okay, well, what would happen is if we were to give these mice a second concussion at various time points after their first concussion? And so they would give them an impact, they would get a concussion, and a mild brain injury or a concussion resulted in about a 20% decrease in their ATP levels, okay? Then they also compared that with a group that was given a severe traumatic brain injury. So severe traumatic brain injury, obviously much worse than a mild traumatic brain injury, but a severe traumatic brain injury is what you'd see with you know, people that are in a coma following a severe car accident. Uh, they're on ventilation systems and that type of thing. That is a severe brain injury where you have actual structural damage to the brain um, that may never recover. In those scenarios, you get about a 50% reduction in ATP. So you're talking with concussion, you get about a 20%, severe brain injury, you get about a 50% reduction, okay? So that's just some landmarks for you to keep in mind as I go through this study. They then wanted to see what would happen if we took the concussion group, so the mild brain injury group that had a 20% reduction in ATP, and we gave them a second concussion at varying time points in the recovery. Well, they found that if they waited for that full five-day recovery and they gave them a second concussion, there was no cumulative or additive effect meaning that if you got a concussion and you fully recovered from that concussion and you got a second concussion, it just acted as another concussion. There wasn't this cumulative you know, effect. But if they hit those animals on day three and they gave them a second concussion on day three, kind of at the halfway point of their recovery, those two injuries would add up and those were the same as a severe brain injury, meaning that their ATP levels dropped to 50% of what they should be and in fact 10% of the animals died as a result of that multiple impact scenario. So again, it may not be the number of concussions you get, but it may be how close together they are that matters most. Okay. Now they did another study in 2007 and what they were looking at is does it matter most if we get the concussions one day apart, two days apart, three days apart, four days apart, or five days apart? Again, we're talking about animals here. I'm going to go into human studies after this. So they found that if they were hit on day three 
that seemed to be the worst outcome, kind of right in the middle midpoint of that recovery. If they were hit on day two, it wasn't as bad as if they were hit on day three. And if they were hit on day one, it wasn't as bad as if they were hit on day two. So for the first three days, your vulnerability actually got worse. Then you hit your peak low around day three, and that was the most dangerous point. And then day four wasn't as bad as being hit on day three. And day five was basically like you had fully recovered from that concussion and got hit again and you just had another concussion. So there wasn't that cumulative effect. So again, we're talking about multiple injuries happening within the vulnerability period of um, a mouse. So now, then they went on to human studies. So we can't measure ATP directly in humans. What we have to do is we found a correlate of ATP, meaning we found a molecule that when ATP goes up, this molecule also goes up. When ATP levels go down, this molecule also goes down. And so we can use a technique called uh, proton magnetic resonance spectroscopy that can look at the level of this particular metabolite, which is called NAA. So like I said, it's highly correlated with ATP. So this gives us an indirect measure of our ATP levels. And so what they found in this large study that was done, there was this is the largest study that's been done uh, using this technology. It was three different centers across Italy, and it was all athletes. And I think there was 30 concussions, or 40 concussions and 30 controls, or vice versa. I can't remember the exact numbers on that, but there was 70 participants either way. Instead of taking five days to recover, like we see in the mouse model, what we actually found in humans is that it took 30 days to recover. Um, so we're looking at you know four weeks versus five days in the mouse model. So the scary part of all of that is that every single person in the study is asymptomatic between day 10 and day 15. So you're again getting into the point where symptoms just because your symptoms are gone and you feel better doesn't mean that you're actually out of that vulnerability period you're potentially still vulnerable for another few weeks after that injury happens so if we think about this and we extrapolate okay here's what we know about animals well, we know that it's a five-day recovery and the worst time to get hit is on day three right at that midpoint well if we consider that humans Let's say they're the same. We don't know that for a fact, but let's say they're the same. We're talking about a 30-day recovery. Well, what's the midpoint for them when they're still going to be quite vulnerable? Well, you're looking at you know 15 to 20 days after injury, which is right in the middle of when typically most athletes are getting cleared to return back to their sport. So we're potentially clearing people based on symptoms right in a vulnerable period where they could get hit again and create that cumulative additive effect, which is the most dangerous part about concussions to begin with. So again, relying on symptoms to make our clinical decisions, particularly when it comes to concussions, is ridiculous. Okay, We use imaging and other modalities for other injuries, right? Let's consider the broken arm um, you know, suggestion or, or corollary to this. If I break my arm, it really, really, really hurts. Okay. I go to the hospital, they take an x-ray of it, they can see it, there it is, arm is broken. Doctor sets it, puts a cast on it, you know, I'm protected, okay, great. I can't play my sports because my arm is broken. Um, I go home, well, after about a week or so, 10 days, same as a concussion, my arm actually feels quite a bit better. The pain is gone. 
okay? I don't feel the symptoms anymore. Pain is gone, just like my headache would probably be gone following concussion. Now, does that mean that I can just cut my cast off and go and back and play my sport? Well, no, why? Because the bone underneath is still broken. The symptoms are gone, but the injury is still there, right? So I'm gonna go back in, doctor's gonna take an X-ray and say, well, I can see the healing starting, but the bone is actually still broken. And how long is it gonna take for that arm to heal? It's gonna take about four to six weeks. And then the final check is gonna be looking at it under the X-ray saying, okay, we have full, full healing of this bone, I feel, it feels safe now, we're gonna cut the cast off and now you can return to your activities. We don't have that with concussion. We're simply asking people how they feel and then making return to sport decisions based on you know, a kid that's telling you that they feel better. That has nothing to do with it, right? So we need better objectivity. This is where baseline testing can be helpful for people. And I'm not talking about just doing computer tests because there's reliability issues. We need to have a nice comprehensive battery that measures a whole variety of functions, not just neurocognitive, but also physical. So balance testing on force plates, looking at postural sway, reaction time, uh, visual tracking and processing, neurocognitive testing, like all, all this stuff together can give us now some objectivity to it. But we have to know what the scores were in the healthy state before we can actually make a determination in the injured state to know whether or not they're back to where they probably should be. Because the range of what is considered normal is so wide. So if I'm to measure Sam's balance and my balance, we're going to be completely different from each other. So if I'm recovering, does it matter that my balance is now back to what Sam's balance is? No. My balance maybe was better than what Sam's was, and I should be better than what Sam's balance is before I go back to my sport. So you have to measure you to you. So anyway, I'm getting off topic on that, but anyway. Now, getting back into the studies that were done in Italy, there was another study that was done looking at basically this same group of athletes using this proton magnetic resonance spectroscopy. There was a group of athletes, there were six athletes that decided, yeah, the study is you know, 30 days long, but I don't want to wait 30 days. I want to go back to my sport early. And they ended up going back early and getting another concussion during this vulnerability period. So what we ended up with was a nice little case series here where we could actually follow these people now to see what those two concussions, you know, happened or what, 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 what it caused to have those two concussions back to back and we followed them over time. And what was found was that in order to get that ATP back up to what the control level was, which in your first concussion took about 30 days, was now taking 90 to 120 days to normalize. Three to four months now. What did take a month now takes three to four months to recover. The symptoms though of that came back or went away, sorry, between 50 and 60 days. So again, at the halfway point of that recovery, this athlete is now feeling 100% better. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go back to their doctor. Doctors can say, how do you feel now? They're going to say, I feel great. And there they are, back to their sport, cleared again, yet they still have this vulnerability of their brain for the next 60 days. So any hit that happens within that 60 days is potentially setting them up for this accumulation of impacts to occur. They're gonna get concussed easier and easier, and it's gonna take them longer and longer to recover. So again, are we, is it the number of concussions you get, or is it how close together they are? 
do we have a concussion problem or do we have a concussion management problem? If we were to manage these injuries appropriately and not let athletes return to play based upon self-reported symptoms, but we were to take a more objective approach to this and say, I don't care about your about how you feel. Well, not that I don't care about how you feel, but I don't care necessarily in terms of return to sport decisions about how you feel, but how do you function? How is your brain? Is it back to normal? Are you getting the same type of reaction time? Is your postural sway as good as it was? You know, functionally, are you better? Because we have no imaging that can see the brain. Okay, so what do we know? We know that concussion causes an energy deficit. We know that that energy deficit represents potential vulnerability period where smaller hits can result in sub subsequent concussions. Subsequent concussions in that period can take longer and longer to recover, can potentially be fatal, but they can also, and I'm gonna get into that now, result in the long-term effects uh, for people. So maybe we wouldn't have these problems in the NHL and the NFL and you know everything else if we were to take care of these injuries from day one when these kids are still back playing peewee football and peewee hockey if they were managed appropriately by the time they get to that level and if it continues at that level which they have a lot of work to do too because of that timeline right it's not good business practice to have an nfl player sitting out for 30 days every time a concussion injury happens which is why i cringe when i see them back playing the following sunday right even the nhl playoffs was it Krug gets hit and then he's back like a game game or two later? Like, oh my God. Um, anyway, okay, here's some studies. Whale et al. 2014, I'm just going to read this quote. Mice undergoing mild head injuries three days apart exhibited greater inflammation, pro-inflammatory cytokine gene expression, axonal degeneration, as well as functional deficits compared to mice that either underwent a single injury or repeated injuries separated by 20 days. Again, close together, mattered, 20 days didn't. These data strongly reinforce the public health concern that too rapid a return to activity after traumatic brain injury can induce permanent damage and disability. So that was the first study to show this. Here's another one, Selwyn 2015. This is a quote. Data from the current study provides additional evidence and demonstrates that a second injury during the period of peak impairment in glucose uptake resulted in the greatest impairment of motor function and histological measures of damage. A second injury during the period of recovery uh, after five days resulted in a somewhat worsened outcome, although without any impairment in motor function. A second injury during the period of fully recovered glucose uptake, which was after 15 days, showed no significant difference from having a single concussion. Again, number of concussions or how close together they are. Another one, Meehan et al. 2012. The title of the study is called Increasing Recovery Time Between Injuries Improves Cognitive Outcome After Repetitive Mild Concussive Brain Injuries in Mice. Quote, mice were subjected to five concussions at varying time intervals, either daily, so five concussions per uh, or sorry, one concussion per day for five days, weekly, one concussion per week for five weeks, and monthly, one concussion per month for five months. The Morris water maze, which is a measure of cognitive performance, um, was measured at 24 hours after the final injury, one month after the final injury, and one year after the final injury. 
Quote, results. Mice sustaining five concussions either one day or one week apart performed worse than sham injured mice, meaning mice that didn't get a concussion. When five concussions were delivered at one month time intervals, no difference in Morris water maze performance was observed between injured and sham injured mice, meaning that every group got five concussions. But if those five concussions were spaced out a month apart, there was no difference from the group that had five concussions and the group that had no concussions. So again, is it the number of concussions or how far apart they are? After one month of recovery period, mice that sustained five concussions at daily and weekly time intervals continued to perform worse than sham injured mice. One year after the final, and the other group did not, the monthly group did not. One year after the final injury, mice sustaining five concussions at a daily time interval still performed worse than sham injured mice. The group that got concussed every week for five weeks and the group that got concussed every month for five months were no different than the sham group after a year after injury. But the group that got concussed every day for five days was still impaired a year later. So again, time. It's, they all had the same number, but it's all about time. Conclusion, when delivered within a period of vulnerability, the cognitive effects of multiple concussions are cumulative, persistent, and may be permanent. Increasing the time interval between concussions attenuates the effects of cognition. I love saying this, but do we have a concussion problem or do we have a concussion management problem? Getting back to our original question, how many concussions is too many? I took this very roundabout road to get here, but I think it's important for framing this question. We don't know, but if somebody asks me that question, I've had 10 concussions, am I screwed? The question that I have to ask back is, well, how close together were they? What kind of recovery did you have? You know, if they recovered fully metabolically from each one of those concussions, well, Perhaps they're better off than if they had not recovered fully from each one of those concussions. But we don't necessarily know that. So the rule of thumb when making a retirement decision for an athlete is there's two main questions that you want to ask. One, is each concussion that someone is getting happening with less and less force, meaning that they you know first would take a nice big hit playing football and not have a concussion but now it's like any little bumper or shake they're now getting concussed potentially they've ended up in a period of perpetual vulnerability where they're not able to recover because they're always in that state of vulnerability that keeps getting them down and down and down and now they're getting concussed easier and easier and easier so that's question number one are they getting concussed easier and easier and easier question number two each time each subsequent concussion that they've had, are they taking longer and longer and longer to recover? Symptomatically, this is. Because if that's the case, again, potentially they're in this period of vulnerability where these are actually cumulative concussions. These are not one-off concussions, but they're, they've, they've been mismanaged at some point, potentially, and now they're into a state where it's, it's created this big problem for them. So those are the two questions that I'm, my go-to questions for anybody that's considering retiring from their sport. One, are you getting concussed easier and easier? And two, is it taking you longer and longer to recover each time you get a concussion? If so, then yes, you should be stopping contact sports. 
yes, potentially you're in a vulnerable state that is potentially just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, if the answers to those questions are no, well then there's some other questions that you would want to ask. And there's actually um, Davis Hayes et al. in 2018 uh, published a nice little algorithm that kind of walks through a, uh, a bit of a decision tree for the discussion to have with your patients about when to retire. And it goes through some of the absolute contraindications like having structural abnormalities within the brain, um, Chiari malformations, that type of thing. And then it also goes into some other stuff in terms of focal neurological deficits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it works through this decision tree. Um, I think we could probably reference this in the show notes as well so you guys can take a look at this algorithm. Um, but I would probably use this as, as my go-to to help guide these discussions with uh, with patients when considering retiring from their sport. So again, how many concussions is too many? That really depends. That's it for this week. I'll see you guys next week. Um, I have a topic in mind actually, Sam, for next week. Perfect. Yeah. I'm thinking that the topic might be um, concussion um, support groups. There's a lot of concussion support groups there that are out there that people belong to, Facebook, etc. Are they good or are they bad? That might be a good topic. All right. See you guys next week. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.